been going through the Gospel of John, and I've just been really loving it. I don't know about you, but I'm really enjoying going through from start to finish the Gospel of John. Uh, So here we go. We're up to John chapter 8, and uh, we're talking about Jesus. What a good thing to talk about. So I want to start with a video today to set up with what I'm talking about. I'm going to move this. I realised I hadn't moved this, so you can't see the screen too good. So if we can get the lights, camera action...
Amen. There's beauty in our brokenness. And John chapter 8 is all about Jesus, the freedom giver. And we gain that freedom when we come to him with our brokenness. It's like we're in pieces. And when we come to Christ, he knits us back together, makes us something new, makes us something beautiful and incredible. But we were beautiful in the beginning because there's beauty in our brokenness. We've been designed by God himself. And he comes knowing that we're broken and he sends a saviour and his name is Jesus. And it's S-A-V-I-O-U-R. I know, Jacqueline. It's an American video. It's all good. Jesus comes and makes the beauty in our brokenness even more beautiful when we have become whole. And that's what Jesus does. So let's get started. Freedom's something we all want, isn't it? Everyone wants to be free. I think of the people in Afghanistan now. All they want is freedom because of the tyranny that's happening there. And we continue to pray for that nation. We all want freedom, but it has different meanings for different people. So to a child, freedom is being grown up and not having to obey parents and teachers. I've got two of them. <laughs> to a teenager, freedom is having a driver's license and a car because they can go wherever they want, whenever they please. Well, depends. Well, they're under my roof. Anyway, <laughs> move on from that. To a mother, freedom is an afternoon or evening with a babysitter to watch the kids. Can I have an amen from all the mothers in the house? Yeah, there it is. <laughs> to a business person, freedom is weekend with no work. That's freedom. To a teacher, freedom is uh, maybe a summer holiday with no classes. Can we maybe turn this down a bit, Russ? It's a because I'm having to hold it away. I think that's why it's booming a little bit. Uh, so yeah, teachers, freedom is summer holiday. To a person in jail, freedom is parole or the end of their sentence pronounced by a judge. That's freedom for them. Uh, so in this chapter, John chapter 8, we learn that freedom runs deeper than a change in circumstances, a deeper than a change in location, you know, a woman caught in adultery is brought to Jesus and learns that freedom is actually forgiveness of her sins instead of being stoned for it. That's freedom. Later, Jesus taught that freedom begins with a relationship with him. And as a result, we'll know the truth that will set us free spiritually. So let's begin reading from John. The scriptures will be on the screen for you. If you've got your Bible, I'm using a New King James Version. So John chapter 8, verses 1 to 2 says this. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, and now early in the morning, he came again into the temple. This is the temple where John chapter 7, he's talking and stirring up a whole bunch of division and trouble because people, some people think he's uh, the Messiah. Others think he's a prophet. Others think he's just a wacky preacher. Uh, and there's no cohesion in the crowd as to who Jesus is actually is. So now early in the morning, he came again into the temple and all the people came to him and he sat down and taught them. Jesus likes an opportunity to teach, doesn't he? He doesn't pass that by. So hence, it's an early morning class. There's one thing about Jesus, and I love this. He never misses that opportunity to teach. Never. He was up and at him early. And when people gathered to listen to his words, he always had something powerful to say. And this day was absolutely no exception. So let's keep going. Verses 3 
to 5 of John chapter 8. Then the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? So this was almost a perfect trap for Jesus, so they thought. You know, imagine being the centre of attention. You're teaching important stuff. It's kind of like maybe me teaching now. Uh, Teaching important stuff about God to God's people. And then you're actually interested in what I have to say. So I'm prophesying that, that you're you're into what I'm talking about. And, And the talk is going really well. But then suddenly a group of religious leaders bust in and crash the group, dragging a woman with them. So it'd be like those doors fling open and they drag this woman down to the front here. It would be a bit of a commotion, wouldn't it? You know, disrupting the service, whatever. And it's not just any woman. They had caught her in bed with a man who wasn't her husband. Ooh. Help me with atmosphere. Ooh, okay. So, uh, their interruption raises some interesting questions. How did they know where to find someone committing adultery? What a good question. It doesn't tell us that in the Bible. But how did they know? How did they find out? You know, normally Pharisees wouldn't have much contact with a common woman. How were they able to catch her in the very act of doing the business? You know, how how did they do that? So, the context implies that the witnesses had seen the act because they're saying... She was caught in the very act of what she was doing. Why didn't they bring the man too? Oh, the women revolt. Why didn't they bring the man too? It's a very real question. It's a very real question. He was just as guilty as the woman. So for me, it smells like a setup. Something is going on here. Bit of a conspiracy. I don't know, whatever word you want to use. These were men with a mission. You know, according to the law, stoning to death was the punishment for both parties for sleeping with someone else's spouse. So there was no way Jesus could wriggle out of this situation. You know, if he said to let her go, he'd be disobeying God's word and would lose his credibility as a teacher. If he agreed to stone her, the religious leaders would accuse him of having none of the mercy and love That he'd been teaching. So, what was Jesus to do? Let's keep reading verses six to eight of John chapter eight. This they said, testing him, because that's what they are doing, that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down, and I love this, and he wrote on the ground with his finger, as though he did not hear. La 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 la, can't hear you. So when they continue asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Don't you want to know what he was writing on the ground? (laughs) The Bible doesn't tell us. So we're left to our own devices to imagine what he could possibly be writing on the ground. Those religious leaders had Jesus trapped, or so they thought. No matter which choice he took, he gave them ammunition to use 
against him. So Jesus chose option C. He, he skipped A and B, stone her or not stone her, and he went to C. He ignored them. <laughs> Who has kids like that? <laughs> you give them a choice and then all of a sudden they can't hear you. It's selective hearing. It's amazing. I think only children have and Maybe adults have it too. Uh, anyway, Jesus is hard to keep in a box and that's what I love. He, he just comes out with a response that you just wouldn't expect. Jesus always had something great to say, but here he is ignoring. <laughs> like, this is different. So, no doubt about it, being ignored takes all the fun out of the execution. So the, the, the religious leaders weren't happy. They're like, we want some response out of this guy. Come on. You know, these men weren't going to give up easily. So they continued asking him, and no doubt they were hoping to break down his resistance, that he would eventually give some response. And when that didn't work, so Jesus goes to option D now, because he still doesn't want to go to option A or B. He goes to, he's done C, ignoring them. Option D, he points the finger at the accusers. If you want to kill her, go ahead, but be sure the first one to throw a stone at her has never sinned. Wow, that's turning the tables, isn't it? That remark wasn't what those self-righteous men wanted to hear. You know, to this day, no one's sure what Jesus was writing on the ground in that situation. You know, he bent down and he scribbled on the ground. But some think this, and there's no backing to this, so don't write me an email and say, that's not scriptural. Uh, but some people think this, that it was a list of all the sins committed by the Pharisees. Imagine that. That's why he was writing and then he got up and said something and he kept writing because there'd be so many uh, to, to get out on the dirt. Imagine if it was that. And one by one, they turn around, they read what he's writing and they walk away because they're not without sin. Imagine if it was that. I'm not saying it was that, but imagine if it was. That would be so cool. All right, let's keep going. Verses, uh, words in the dirt. That's what we were just talking about. John's 8, 9 to 11 says this. Then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had raised himself up, because it took a long time to write out the sins of all the Pharisees. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? And she said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. So the religious leaders were really caught in their own trap. Naturally, none of these men could confess to have never sinned because even a Pharisee knows there's no perfection. Uh, that's what they strive for. But they all went home because Jesus had caught them in their own trap. And when only the woman was left, Jesus stood up, looked at her and asked the obvious question, where is everybody? <laughs> Sorry, I was busy writing. I didn't notice everyone disappeared. And then Jesus showed her his love by forgiving her instead of condemning her. He didn't say she was innocent. Neither did he hammer home her guilt or read her a laundry list of her sins. She knew she had sinned against God. She knew she'd done the wrong thing. And Jesus wanted to quit making sin a habit for her. And so Jesus gave freedom to the woman caught in adultery and claimed to be God by using the Father's name, I am. Jesus let her go. You know, his response was incredible and it, it shows four things. 
and the Pharisees didn't like it. The first thing it shows is that he wasn't against Torah. So he wasn't against the law. He's like, okay, well, you stone her, but make sure that you are innocent before you do that, that you are sinless. So he respected the Torah. He was merciful towards the woman. He opposed her sin. Go and sin no more. And he could silence hecklers and put them to shame, all in one little drawing in the dirt, (laughs) which we wish we knew what it was. Although Jesus and the adulterous woman didn't exchange a lot of words, not that's recorded in the Bible anyway, this was a significant conversation that took place. She learned that no one is perfect except Jesus. And therefore, we do not have the right to condemn others for their sin. Because who are we? Anyone sinless here? No. If you think you're sinless, I'll pray for you later. Jesus offers forgiveness, not condemnation. And when we bring that sin to him, he just loves on us. There's beauty in our brokenness. Although we don't have a record of the woman after this event, I doubt she slept with another uh, woman's husband again. Such was the encounter that she had with Jesus. How do we apply this to us? No matter what you've done wrong, and I'm talking to everybody here, everyone online at home tuning in or watching this after it's uploaded to our website, no matter what you've done wrong, Even if the legal penalty is death, Jesus wants to forgive you. He wants to make you free. There's no sin that's so bad he can't forgive it. And he's demonstrated that with this woman caught in the act of adultery. Jesus wants to forgive each person that would come. Verse 12 of John chapter 8 says this. Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. We touched on this earlier, didn't we, as we were praying and worshipping and praising God. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. He's a shining light in the darkness. So this little intermission in the scripture is over. That was a little sidestep talking about the woman uh, who was brought before Jesus. A short drama with a woman caught in adultery had a happy ending. She was made free. Brilliant. Now John picks up the dialogue from back in chapter 7 when he's, again, teaching about who he is and what he's been sent to do. So he's talking to Jewish leaders during the Feast of Tabernacles. And Jesus utters this bold statement of being the light of the world. It's a big statement, isn't it? It's against the backdrop of the light in the temple and the court around it. And here's Jesus saying, I am the light of the world. In the temple, uh, there's this candlestick. I've got a picture of it, I think. Uh, Oh, can you? There we are. Sorry. That's called, I, I hope I'm saying it right, menorah. My wife gives me the nod of approval. She studies Hebrew and all these sorts of things. Uh, Jacqueline, it's menorah, right? That's how you don't. I just, it's a second witness. So, uh, carried, everyone's happy. Good. Menorah. It's a golden candlestick. I know it's not gold in that picture, but that's what they were. And they burned constantly during the Feast of Tabernacles. Four huge menorahs lit up the outside at court at night while men danced and praised their God. 
I won't get you to stand up and dance and praise God now around the menorah. Unless you'd like to. Anyone would like to? No? Okay, we'll keep going. Uh, this light uh, commemorated the pillar of fire, if you remember, in the Old Testament, that led the Israelites, Israelites when they wandered in the wilderness in Moses' day. Remember the pillar of fire that led them to wherever God would have them go as they were walking through the wilderness. And at the end of the celebration each night at the Feast of Tabernacles, or rather early morning, because they liked to party, um, two priests faced the temple and proclaimed, Our fathers who were in this place turned their backs to the temple of God and their faces eastward and threw themselves down eastward before the sun. But we direct our eyes to Yahweh. It was in, the context, in this context where Jesus declared, I am the light of the world. Powerful. So powerful. That short sentence, I am the light of the world, set off fireworks. No pun intended, that's light as well. But it set off fireworks. You know, as Jesus uses I am, every time he uses that, it makes it clear that he is God. And it stirred the feathers of the religious leaders. They just did not like it. The Jewish people understood that light stood for God's holiness. As if that wasn't enough, Jesus claimed to be the light for all people. Not just the religious leaders, not just the Jews. As the light that pierces darkness, Jesus sheds light on God, showing people what he is like and what he does. Jesus is God in human form. So he's the living example of who God is and how he acts. You know, Jesus' presence and his teachings also shed light on the darkness of people's sin. And also their separation from God. And that's what the religious leaders didn't like either. So people who follow Jesus don't walk blindly in sin anymore. Instead, they can see their sin and acknowledge their need for forgiveness. That's what happens when light shines on something. It's all in the open. You know when you sin and it's like, oh, I just want to keep that a secret. I don't want to tell anyone. I don't want to... And I'm not going to be religious and tell you, you've got to tell this person and that person. But you know what? When light shines on something, there it is and it can get dealt with. So however you get the light shining on your sin, please do it. Please make sure you do. Allow Jesus' light to shine because you keep things in the darkness. You know what? They just fester and grow. That's what mold does, isn't it? Like when it's in the dark, damp. You know, I used to live, we used to live in a Queenslander, remember? Black Mountain Range Road in Karoi. And it was uh, an old Queenslander that we rented for, I don't know, three or four years couple of years? I don't know. I forget. But it was a Queenslander. And on the Sunshine Coast, there's more humidity than there is here. And when we moved out, you know, you've got to clean the place up and do a bond clean and that. There was mould everywhere. And not because we were dirty, messy people that <laughs> never cleaned, but just in the, you know, the nooks and crannies that you'd rarely go into, it was gross. That's what happens in darkness. Things fester and become yuck. So... The best advice I can give you as a pastor is bring your sin into the light. Confess to someone. Talk to someone. Happy to be that person, but it doesn't have to be uh, me. It can be a friend, a colleague, whatever. And then pray together and ask Jesus to come and just flood the situation to make you whole again. Because he will. He'll come. All right. Let's go to John chapter 8, verses 13 to 18. We'll keep going. The Pharisees therefore said to him, You bear witness of yourself, your witness is not true. So now they're trying to use a legal tact to tell Jesus he's not truth. 
Jesus answered and said to them, Even if I bear witness of myself, my witness is true. For I know where I came from and where I am going. But you do not know where I come from and where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. And yet if I do judge, my judgment is true. For I am not alone, but I am with the Father who sent me. It is also written in your law that the testimony of two men is true. I am one who bears witness of myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness of me. This is where we're thankful for the triune nature of God. The Holy Spirit hasn't come yet, but we've got the Father and the Son. So that's two in my book when I went to school. One plus one is not a window, it's two. So it's time for a testimony. That's what Jesus is giving now. He's letting them know, you know what, here's the story. Instead of Jesus um, showing his light to the Pharisees, instead of them choosing to see him as light, they saw red, I reckon. They were like fuming at this point. They understood what he was saying, but they didn't want to believe it. So they challenged him with the law for a valid testimony. Two witnesses are needed. So Jesus didn't agree. Again, remember, he doesn't come to uh, contradict what has said before, the Torah, the law. Jesus didn't disagree. He pointed out that his testimony was true even without a second witness because he knew he came from a place with God the Father. Eternity in the past with God and where he was going, which was back to God. So these leaders were judging him by their own standards because they didn't understand the no time concept. And, you know, if they really needed a second witness, he had one and it was God the Father. They just chose not to accept that. Verses 19 and 20. And they said to him, where is your father? Because he's talking about this father. Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you had known me, you would have known my father also. These words Jesus spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple. And no one laid hands on him for his hour had not yet come. There it is again. God's divine protection. And we prayed this over all of us that were here last week that God would protect us until our time and our season was right for whatever God was leading us into. He did it for Jesus as well. He did it for Jesus, the great example of protection. They could have taken him. He's in the temple in a public place. Soldiers could have grabbed him at any time, but it was not yet his time. God's in control and he's in control of your life in the same way. You know, there's the great unknown for these religious leaders. Since Jesus said he had a second witness, the leaders asked him to produce this mystery man. Who is he? And they couldn't get out of their literal rut, refusing to consider that Jesus' father was God. They did not want to accept and believe that. So obviously they didn't know either Jesus or his father, and that's what Jesus was saying. And this discussion took place out in the open, out in the court of uh, women, outside the temple building, near the offering boxes. And there were 13 Trumpet-shaped collection boxes. It's a lot of collection boxes. We only have one. Uh, Inscribed with the use for money deposited in them. Seven were for the temple tax and six were for the offerings. And the leaders could easily have grabbed Jesus there because it was a very public place, but it wasn't yet his time. So Jesus' assertion that if people knew him, they would know his father is one of the most striking, I feel, in all of the New Testament. He was speaking to some of the most educated, most righteous people, uh, religious people, they thought they were righteous, who have ever lived. 
And they were confident that they knew God and that they understood it all, understood his ways. But this rejection of Jesus shows that they didn't know who God was. They knew only their own ideas about God and what they chose to believe. They'd formed in their mind who he was and it wasn't going to be shifted or budged or changed. They'd made up their mind. Verses 21 to 24 of John chapter 8. Then Jesus said to them again, I am going away and you will seek me and will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself? Because he says, where I go, you cannot come. And he said to them, you are from beneath, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. Therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins. For if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Pretty clear, right? Believe in Jesus or die in your sins. That's the choice. There's too much thinking inside the box from these religious leaders. They weren't prepared to think bigger, to accept something that sat outside what they had in their educated mind and their opinion, what they determined who Jesus was. If these religious leaders weren't going to believe in Jesus while he was here with them now, they had no chance for salvation from their sins. And as usual, they didn't have a clue as to what he was talking about. Over their heads. They thought he was going to commit suicide. Hardly. Instead of trying to correct their uh, misinterpretation, here's what Jesus did. Jesus told them why they didn't understand what he was saying. They were tied to the earth with no understanding of spiritual truth. He was from heaven with a perspective outside their closed box of thinking. So how do we apply this to us as I come to a close this morning? Not believing in Jesus equals spiritual death. It's only when we place our faith in him as our saviour from our sin that we then gain spiritual life. We have to acknowledge Jesus. And every meeting at Vineyard Christian Church, we will be talking about him. doesn't matter what topic we speak about from the pulpit, whether we're going through the Gospel of John, whether we're talking about favour in your life, whatever it is, it's always going to be tied back to Jesus because without him we are nothing. He is our cornerstone. He is the very foundation on which we build every aspect of our life. And so we've got to have this desire and yearning to want to know more about him because we never make it either. There's always a fresh revelation. There's always something new, something fresh to encourage us in our walk as we learn more and more about Jesus. So as I come to a close, let's take a look at the screen. If we can hit the lights for us, that would be great.
Come on up, Billy. Great. Psalm 27. The first verse that we just saw in that video says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Why do we get afraid when we have the Lord? This is a great reminder. The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? And we read today John 8 verse 12 that says, Jesus spoke to them again saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. There are people in this place today, people are tuning in online, and you need the light of Christ to come and flood a situation that you're facing. And we've focused heavily on that in our worship time, in our communion, and everything today has been about, Jesus, come, flood my life, be my light in the darkness. So if you're in this place today and you haven't let that light in, we're going to give you an opportunity to say yes to Jesus in just a moment. And it's as simple as the scripture that's on the screen, Roman 10 verse 9 says, that if you confess with your mouth, so we speak it out, the Lord Jesus, so He is our Lord. When we say that, and when we believe in our heart that God's raised Him from the dead, you are saved. And that light comes flooding in like a flood the minute you open up your life and let Him in. And I mean not just letting Him into the choice-selected parts of your life that you are comfortable of letting go. Giving Him your all. Every part of you. Allow the light of Christ to come and infiltrate every aspect of your being. So if you're in this place today and you want to say yes to Jesus, I'm going to encourage you in just a moment to lift up your hand. We want to pray with you today that Jesus would come and be your light. So would you bow your heads in this place? And, and if you're at home, don't tune out in this moment. If you need Jesus to come like a rushing flood of light into your life, if you've never said yes to Jesus and you want to open up your life and say, Jesus, come, be my Lord. Save me from my sin, from myself, because I can't save myself. We can try in our own strength, and many of us do. We try and satisfy the law. We try and do what's right. We try and make good choices, but we fail. Because in our own strength, we can't do what Christ was sent to do for us. And that is to pay the penalty for our mistakes and our sins. When He was nailed to that cross, He paid the ultimate price for you and for me. A price that we deserve. The Bible tells us the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. And Jesus is that gift just waiting to come. And literally infiltrate your life. To come in and take over. To shine light on every aspect. So if that's you and you want to say yes to Jesus, come fill me with your light today whether it's for the first time, whether it's something you just feel you are moved in this place today to do, would you just lift up your hand and we're going to pray as a church together and we're going to include you in that prayer. Yep, I see that hand. Great. If you're at home, I can't see into your living room. That would be awkward. 
But you can lift up your hand in God's presence and He acknowledges your response today because that's what it's about. I'm asking for a response to all that Jesus is and all that He's done. Would we respond and welcome His light into our life to shine in those dark places so that we could be forgiven and made free, just like the woman caught in adultery who was doing the wrong thing. Maybe you're doing the wrong thing right now, but God would say, you know what? Let me in. Let my light shine. Go and sin no more. Give your life to me and be restored in my presence. So one last time, if that's you, show me your hand and we're going to pray as a church. Great. That's awesome. So good. Church, let's stand together. Can we stand in this moment? And I'm just going to ask you to pray with me because I trust everyone else is in an awesome relationship with Jesus. And and if you're not yet and you didn't lift your hand and maybe you should, if you say these words, it's not a magic prayer, but it's a condition of your heart. If you say these words and mean them from your heart, you are going to be, as the scripture says, you will be saved. So everyone together, say this after me. Dear Jesus, I thank you that you came and that you died for me. You paid the price for all the wrong things I've ever done. And now I am free. I confess with my mouth that you are my Lord. And I believe in my heart that you were raised from the dead. You conquered sin and death. And you are victorious. So I am victorious. And I am now a Christian. And choose to live my life for you all the days of my life. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. There's a party in heaven. Can we give praise and thank God for His goodness? We serve a good, good Father. Can I one more time pray for you this morning? I just want to believe for the light of Christ, for every believer to come in those dark places. Sue shared so beautifully this morning what His light does in the midst of darkness. Can that be your portion? Yes, it can. Yes, it can. So would you just raise your hands in His presence? Lift up your hearts if you want to just lift up your hearts to heaven right now. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Lord God, I thank You. I thank You for Your light that shines in a dark place. Lord, when we face the challenges of life, and they do come, God. They do come. We wish life could be perfect, but it's not. The world is broken, and so are we. That's why we need You. So would you come and shine your light in every situation, in every circumstance, whatever miracle is needed, Lord, whether it be a miracle of provision, a miracle of healing, a miracle of restoration. Shine your light, Father God, into our lives and into our hearts that we may be like little beacons of light in our community, that people would come to us and say, hey, you've just got this glow about you today and it's not this weird spiritual thing it's Jesus Christ in your heart restoring bringing broken things whole making old things new He's doing a miracle in me and that's what you see that brightness, that light I'm so happy because of Christ in me so would you come Jesus and touch every situation, every person bless them, lead them and guide them this week until we're gathered together again next Sunday, even this afternoon at Clifton. Pray your blessing on that meeting as well, that gathering. Lord, bless your people, I pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said, 
Amen. Come on, give him one more good praise. He's worthy of all glory. Whatever it is you're believing for, just walk as if it's done. Walk as if it's done. Have the faith, even though it doesn't feel like it yet. Walk as if it's done. That's faith, isn't it? Trusting in what we don't yet see. Amen. Amen. Let's grab our coffees. If you haven't ordered one, please do, because Beth has to shut the coffee shop pretty quick. <laughs> but bless you. Enjoy some fellowship together. Welcome our new people and say hello. Enjoy your rest of your Sunday.